Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson, and thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Digital marketing and technology, no doubt, has changed the way consumers make purchase decisions. Rave reviews from friends and family on the latest supplements, well, now have been replaced with online reviews. To help us better understand this shift in marketing and where it's all headed, I'd like to welcome Kent Lewis, president of Anvil Media. Welcome, Kent. Hello. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Of course. I hinted at online reviews and e-commerce. A consumerlab.com survey found the internet was the most popular outlet to purchase supplements with health food stores a close second. So, of course, adding digital marketing into an existing strategy is an obvious choice. I'm just curious, do you think a brand could even survive in this day and age without digital marketing? Wow, that's a great question. So uh, can you do marketing without digital? Can you grow sales without digital? But I, I have not seen a rapid growing viral level rocket ship growth for a company that doesn't have some sort of digital component. The caveat would be, you know, so if you think of all the viral marketing that's happened the last 20 years, it's all been digital, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's really hard to spread by word of mouth unless you're the coronavirus. And so, <laughs> yeah, so I think it, it is an exceptionally rare. Um, the, the caveat I would say is for businesses that are highly niche, meaning you may have five to 10 comp- companies, potential customers on the planet where it's all relationship driven. Digital may not do much, and you might be able to get away without digital when it's 100% relationships. But even companies I know that have have a huge percentage of the revenue is referral-based, so relationships, there's still some sort of digital component. So my short answer would be, to much much longer answer, would be um, rare, if at all. How have sites such as Amazon, Shopify, WeChat, how have those impacted brands? So there are, I think there's two basic categories I would put your digital web, you know, websites that have some sort of marketplace element, social element, how, so Amazon is, is a marketplace and the biggest impact that it has had, and it's, it's multi-faceted is obviously, you know, Walmart killed the small retail shops across America and Amazon is not killing Walmart, but, you know, helping finish off the rest. And so the, the biggest impact to a manufacturer or a retailer in nutrition and supplemental products is that you, you, it's not a question of if you sell on Amazon, it's when and how. I think you can be competitive on Amazon in the supplement and nutrition space is product bundling. So unique products that you don't necessarily see in store, so you're not eroding your channel. And the other way besides product, besides bundling product, is to create a unique exclusive product for Amazon and or Walmart or a, a similar marketplace where it doesn't erode the brand per se, even if it's at a lower price point. It just is basically it's marketing where there's a revenue offset, but you're not competing with your own website. That's just the sales aspect. And so the other component is just reviews. So that's obviously a huge part of, of Amazon, but it's also on every other retail site including if you have a more advanced platform like Shopify or Magento, there's a review capability on those sites as well. I recently interviewed Ryan Lewis. He runs a CBD company, over 65,000 customers. So Shopify approached him and that's how he scales his operation and, and leverages technology to make purchasing more 
you know, seamless and user-friendly. I just couldn't imagine having a, a company, especially with that many customers and not being able to utilize online resources. How does SEO uh, play into this? So, you know, I do have, we do at Amdo, we've been around as a digital agency for 20 years. And, you know, I have worked with some, um, some natural, uh, you know, medicines and supplements over the years, and then some pharma, pharma companies as well. So there, I, I am aware there are a variety of re- regulations uh, across different um, product lines, treatments, you know, the ability to say the word cure. Search engine optimization has been for 20 plus years, the primary way that we've seen individual small brands that package their own product, um, import their own product, make their own products in this space in particular, be able to compete with the big guys, whether it's GNC or somebody else, because they, they create product pages that are highly optimized and they can compete as a small company. Sometimes one or two person company can compete with the, the big guys by leveling the playing field through SEO. Because unlike paid search, pay-per-click, the playing field isn't leveled unless you have the spend. And that then therefore, if you're spending $100,000 a month with Google and the big guys are only spending 100,000, you can call that level, but 100,000 out of your pocket is significant, maybe not achievable. You know, pay-per-click is really driven by company size or savvy, whereas SEO is not company size, it's pure effort. What about voice search? Oh, so voice search is fun. Um, that's a little more of a leveler, uh, meaning it's, if you can, if you can master SEO, search engine optimization, and get your site to rank or your supplements, uh, whatever they are for specific either conditions, um, maladies, um, or just the ingredients themselves. I'm looking for this type of product. Um, if you can optimize your site to rank in the top 10, there's a potential for your site to then rank for voice search or position zero or zero click, whatever you want to call it. What, what that means is simply that I ask a question and Google answers the question so that I don't have to go anywhere. And so that's a great branding opportunity. The bigger opportunity there beyond ranking visually and desktop and mobile, you can also become the only answer in voice search. So personal assistants, smart speakers, I say, you know, how do I do this? Or what is the side effect of that? And I've optimized my site to rank well for that question, and I can be the only answer. According to site XYZ, this supplement can has this side effect, but only when combined with this other product or, in, or ingredient. So you can become that thought leader in your space, even if it's tangential to your product. So you might be more, you know, typically you start with the product or the ingredient or common questions about your brand, but then you can evolve into other related questions that are about the lifestyle or the type of people, customer that you sell to has other correlations as a, as a persona, as an architect, as a buyer. You can start answering other questions if you're willing to spend the time to research, write a very thoughtful response, and then get your site to rank for that question. There's a lot that goes into that. I don't think a lot of people yes, understand that. Um, what about Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram? I mean, so many options. How do brands tailor their marketing initiatives? So there are a couple of different elements. Uh, you know, we typically re- recommend every single company on the planet uh, create a profile on the big six. So you mentioned five of them. So uh, bit by platform size, it would be Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. 
And I mean, the rough size is not in exact order. You know, the argument would be, well, we're a provide, you know, natural organic health supplements. And, you know, I don't understand why we're on LinkedIn. Well, the answer, you know, LinkedIn is a business to business network, but it is relevant. If you're ever going to hire employees, work with vendors, have a presence in the business community, you need a presence on LinkedIn. Uh, So we've had companies that were on the grow that didn't have a good LinkedIn presence and had trouble recruiting, but the rest of the time they're a consumer business. So, but if you're in a business to business model, if, if I'm a manufacturer of a supplement and I rely on the channel, uh, retailers, distributors, wholesalers, I have to have a strong LinkedIn presence to build and nurture those relationships. So I have a company page, I post updates maybe daily, the rest of the platforms, like uh, YouTube and Twitter are B2B and B2C, so it doesn't matter who your audience is, you should be on those, because Twitter is, even though it, to me it's more of an exhaust port for all your other more high-quality social platforms, it's still there. Um, and then YouTube is the third largest search engine by volume, So um, and video is obviously how people learn to do things and learn about brands, so that's a non-starter. But for lifestyle brands, there's Instagram and Pinterest, so images. So if I'm a again, a, a supplement company, I may only have one pin board or, or occasional photos of my product. It's really about the lifestyle that the product provides you. Whether you have low T or trouble sleeping, it's really the imagery you use should be about the benefit, the solution to the problem. Really, it's more about the stories, the customers' lives that have been changed, your partners and how you're evolving your product, that sort of thing. And then I'll lastly say the biggest challenge with social is brands tend to want to shout and flood your stream with marketing messages. And I don't think that's the primary benefit of, of social. I think it is about market research, customer service, um, helping evolve your product and managing your brand. So one reason to claim all six of those big social platforms is because when I'm controlling, say, the Anvil brand, I, I can optimize those platforms to rank for my brand so my social platforms can be round out half of the other or more of the search results. Let's uh, talk about staying relevant. Mm-hmm. How does that all play in? So when it comes to when having a digital presence, you know, staying relevant is about reading and listening. You know, they always, the saying is you have two ears and one mouth, so you should be listening 70% of the time and talking 30% of the time. So I think the more you listen on social, the more difficult it is to, to be irrelevant. What I recommend to clients and what we do ourselves is we spend a good amount of time reading and seeing what's going on in the industry. And then I'll just use Anvil as an example as a digital marketing agency. Once a week, we share the top news as a team internally as a meeting. We pick the top five articles and then we layer on a, a, an original article and we call it a POV, a point of view article, on what's going on in the industry. So for instance, you and I were talking about coronavirus and how is that impacting marketing? And here's our point of view on a topic of the week and here are the top articles of the week. So that's how we stay relevant. We just did a really deep competitive audit to understand where the opportunities are. We uncovered some rather large strategic opportunities by looking at who our clients are, who our competitors are linking to, who they're talking about, who's linking to them, what are they saying on social, what's going on out there. I can, I can basically, derivate their marketing strategies, and then I can do things differently to position myself to be more relevant to our target. That is good advice. I think in in all aspects, it's always good to to keep your ears open for different things that are going on. How Mm -hmm. important is it to understand analytics? Analytics, let's boil it down to what really matters. What matters is 
you, you should create what we call key performance indicators, KPIs, that are business, that in, indicate the efficacy of your business and your marketing. So business in, indicators in my business are things like profitability. At an overarching level, am I getting paid this month? Uh, is my team getting paid? And then other layers down, like who are my most or least profitable clients or employees? So that's how I measure my business. How do I measure my marketing? Well, we have a dashboard that we've created um, using primarily Google Data Studio, Google Analytics, Google Search Console. We're a, you know, a Google-centric organization because that's our roots. Uh, but basically, I want to look at where am I getting my best traffic? Where am I getting my best customers? And how can I scale and repeat that? paid search is not performing as well, then can I make it perform better? What can I do to better target my ads, write better copy, have better landing pages to get better conversion rates? And then in social, which is typically the lowest performing of any of the channels for most brands, although supplements can do pretty well, particularly through influencer marketing, how am I measuring the, where are those sales coming from through social? Or, you know, because really reach and engagement rates don't mean anything at the end of the day if you're not selling product. Um, very few companies make money on reaching engagement. Measure what matters. Yeah, you mentioned online influencers. What's your thoughts on them? Is there a certain demographic that prefers them or does everybody like them? Does everybody hate them? What's your feel on that? Influencer marketing has evolved from just celebrities endorsing soap and cigarettes 100 years ago. You see somebody you respect doing or saying or using some product, you want to use it too. That's kind of the, the central point of particularly pre-digital marketing. And in the last 10 years, particularly the last five, influencer marketing has really exploded. Um, you get an eight-year-old kid making $22 million unboxing toys on his YouTube channel. Like insane, right? Mm -hmm. And so overall, influencer marketing seems to be most impactful for Gen Y and then secondarily probably Gen Z and Gen X. So, you know, ripples out to the age groups. I think boomers are far more reticent of d digital, you know, celebrity-ism they don't tend to follow social platforms as actively. They're mostly on Facebook now, not so much on Instagram. You know, most influencers are on Instagram, followed by YouTube and distantly by everybody else, Twitter and the other platforms. So most youth that are buying, primarily the millennials, you know, and I mentioned Gen Z, but they're not a huge buying base yet. So the bigger dollars are with uh, Gen Xers like myself. But even I, I only follow a few select influencers that are in my industry not lifestyle influencers other than out of morbid curiosity, but I'm different. I'm a marketer. So I had written an article about nine months ago and my thesis going into writing the article before I did all my research was influencer marketing is dumb and it's dying. And I was wrong. I was way wrong. So my three-part article for Smart Brief is where I talk about the, you know, what is influencer marketing? Why does it matter? And how do you do it? It's really about, it's changing. So there are more regulations, but very few influencers are following regulations. So in, in the world of the supplement world, that's particularly important. The supplement world has, is not exactly ground zero, um, but it's in, it's in that sweet spot of products that it, it's ripe for influencer marketing, people plugging certain products with you know, vague claims and high price tags. And so there is a, there's a bit of a, just short of a stigma. There's a, you have to be very kid glove with influencer marketing in the supplement business. You may be very tight on your claims of what your product can do, but the influencer may not. They may, only 10, 11, 12% of influencers follow preset guidelines. So that, that's a challenge. And so, and then, you know, Instagram dropping, dropping likes. So how do you find an influencer, know what the value of that reach is? 
again, I'm a performance marketer, a measurable marketer. So if an influencer isn't selling product for me, I'm probably not myself going to pay a dime. But every brand has its own goals. New product, new market, awareness is more important. So maybe that's okay just to get reach and followers um, or comments and shares. Uh, but for most of our clients, it's all about revenue. Yeah, I recently moderated a panel on online influencers. And I learned from one of our panelists, these days, most kids want to be a YouTuber. They want to be an online influencer. And I think it's, it's basically the new professional sports or music industry, right? I don't need to be a rapper. I'll just be an influencer that talks about rap music and I can make $100,000 <laughs> a month or a year. Either way, that's, it can be a great living. But, you know, we're talking about the one percenters as influencing an entire movement. And I think that over time, my prediction, and I may be wrong, but is that influencer marketing will change to the point where it's moved downstream. So instead of just Kanye West and Khloe Kardashian and so forth being the primary influencers, it's going down from uh, macro to micro influencers that are say, um, so most celebrities are in the millions of followers. The, the macro influencers below them are the 100,000, you know, or 50,000 to 250. And it's going to go to the, these, you know, micro influencers that are under 100,000, but above 10,000. I think the shift over the next five years is down to, to I'll call them nano influencers. It's, it's you know, between 1,000 and 10,000 followers. You know, are they a connector? Do they set the trends? I think it's getting down to the true experts that are actually in it because of the passion, not for the money. And as that shift is happening where the money decreases a bit, fewer kids are going to dream of being influencers and, you know, get back to more of the fundamentals. doesn't mm-hmm. mean there still won't be a large market. It just is going to be different. But speaking of money, I mean, let's be honest, most companies can't afford to have Kim Kardashian talk about their products. So it might be more realistic to have someone who's a nano or a micro influencer talk about, say, the latest protein bars. That's exactly right. And the other trend in influencer marketing, there are a couple. One is always on campaigns, uh, long-term relationships. So that you're, you, know, you sign annual contract. And then because of changes in likes and measurement, more performance-based marketing, so more like affiliate relationships. So there's kind of like a bifurcation in the road. There's a fork in the road. You're either going to go pure performance, and I don't need the relationship, or pure relationship, and the performance becomes secondary because you, uh, you see the long-term benefit without necessarily all the clicks and the likes and shares are secondary to the quality Right. And speaking of quality, one thing that a lot of brands and companies are taking issue with in terms of online influencers is these influencers who don't necessarily have any science or knowledge of the product. So a lot of people are concerned mm-hmm. with the way Huge that these problem. products are, are presented. So yep. a big question is, you know, how can you make science sexy, basically? That's a great question. I think take a, a page out of Bill Nye, the science guy's playbook. Right. So it's hard to make science sexy and Bill Nye does it exceedingly <laughs> well. So I grew up in Seattle and Bill Nye is from Seattle and he used to be on a comedy show when I was a young kid. He was one of the young talents, probably in his late mid late twenties. And now he's an old dude, but he was doing weird experiments on a comedy show. And it was called almost live. You know, he'd answer questions like if I'm falling in an elevator and jump really high at the last minute, if I jump really hard, can I survive the fall? He's like, yeah, as long as you jump exactly as high as the elevator, that's how much energy it would take. So you have to jump 40 stories high, then you can survive a 40 story fall. I was like, wow, (laughs) that's really memorable. I don't know why that's still stuck in my brain. So I think number one, make it visual. Uh, Number two, if you're going to make it visual, make it video if you can. Number three, you know, illustrations, animations can really help. 
And I don't mean animating a pill bottle or the pill. What's it doing inside your body, right? Mm-hmm. How at the cellular, molecular level, whatever is going on, right? Digestion, you name it. I think that can make it interesting. And it doesn't have to be a 30-minute feature film. It just needs to be quick animations that help illustrate. But again, I would remind brands that, that facts tell, stories sell. So what Bill and I has done so great, well for science is tell stories that you can remember like you have to jump 40 stories to survive a 40-story elevator fall. And he, he did it kind of a funny visual of that. That's how you get it to stick in people's brain. Um, but speeds and feeds, facts, the grams, all that, there are going to be some gram weenies out there that ingredients, fanatics, that's fine. You can give them the science. You can give them the label information, any supporting research. But if you can digest that stuff down into little stories and vignettes, it'll be far more memorable, far more effective. Good to know. While we're talking about visual things, what are your thoughts on AI? <laughs> so artificial intelligence is the, the concept of taking, there's a couple of different subsets in that, but um, artificial intelligence is creating algorithms or intelligence that can then learn from existing data and actions and create future predictions. So One way to do that is through machine learning. In my world of search marketing, natural language processing is the latest in AI, which is trying to understand what's on a website by digesting the language and then trying to understand what people are saying when they're conducting a search, what is their intent, and using NLP or natural language processing and algorithms like Google, Bing, uh, everybody's trying to figure out, crack that code and do it better. But AI in particular is of not of huge use nor is something sister, you know, to me, a sister technology that gets a lot of buzz that's not terribly relevant to most brands and most people is virtual reality. So virtual reality has been around. I remember one of my first PR clients back in 1994 was a virtual reality headset that you would wear while you're at the dentist. And then you remember Second Life, kind of a VR-like experience on your computer, meaning 3D. It was corny as all get out. And so VR is really amazing for training, you know, whether it's training police, military, flight, driving. They're so, the simulations are so amazing that it's powerful. But what are you going to do as a supplement brand with VR? Create, like, this is what it's like to open the bottle and, and put one right. in my mouth. Like, that doesn't solve a huge problem. However, it, this true sister technology, augmented reality is, is to VR, is very relevant. And that's where you're using your phone. You can visualize what something will look like by holding the camera up. And so it's great for like remodelers. We have a remodel client. Hold my phone over the kitchen. This is what the remodel kitchen would look like. That's extremely powerful. Or buying or selling a home. That makes a lot of sense. But with AI, I will, I will get back on that point, which is the, the quality of the, the value of artificial intelligence is that AI has two key components. The data set. And then the algorithms that, that learn from that data. So if you have funky, incomplete or erroneous algorithms, you're getting bad AI. And if you have incomplete or in- erroneous data, you're getting bad AI. So that's why I'm saying AI means very little today to 99% of brands or 95% being generous because most brands do not have sophistication to create better algorithms or better learning and they don't have enough data. Right, so you get false positives. Oh, our data tells us this. Our buyers do this. Well, incomplete data, erroneous data. You're making bad decisions based on on bad data. So AI is for the everyday business is probably five to ten years out to being a meaningful thing, where it's just built into all your different software, 
your applications, your day-to-day life, your phone, and everything's, so you notice, like, say on Gmail, now when I type, it completes my sentence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's convenient and scary. And it's, you know, right most of the time. And so that's where it's going to get, all our entire lives are going to be autocomplete. I fear that we are going to stop talking in complete sentences. We're not going to be typing full emails. The, the computer's going to know what we mean and just send it along. So we're seeing that even in LinkedIn. It's giving me four options to reply to every LinkedIn email. Yep. And it's just like, whoa. So now what I do is I purposely don't use those to show them that I am old school. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's kind of where AI is the good and the bad. It can be great empowering your marketing insights. It can actually hurt relationships as well. <laughs> so AI is out. AR may be relevant to some companies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if I'm a major pharmaceutical, nutraceutical, if I'm a manufacturer uh, or a retailer with a lot of locations like a GNC, AI can help me predict where my future customers are, their lifestyle, their customer journey. I mean, super powerful. We're talking hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in development. Good to know. Kent Lewis, thank you so much for coming on the NutriCast today and uh, telling us about how you defy AI on LinkedIn. We enjoyed having you. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, that about wraps up this episode. But before I say goodbye, I have one big event I want to tell you about called Probiota Americas. It's an event that will bring together professionals from across the globe to network, connect, engage, and learn about microbiota, nutrition trends, and other hot topics in the industry. May 27th through 29th in Washington, D.C. You can find out more by visiting probiotaamericas.com. And for more neutral-related content, you can always visit nutraingredients-usa.com. Until next time, thank you for joining me. I'm Danielle Masterson, and I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.